0: In December of 2010, uh, there was a football game between the New York Jets and the Miami Dolphins. And uh, it was during a punt play. Uh, the Dolphins punted to the Jets. And uh, Nolan Carroll for the Dolphins was running down the sideline. And he was heading down trying to get to the guy with the ball and tackle him. Well, he never came close to the guy with the ball. And in fact, at the end of the play, uh, there was a mystery because Nolan Carroll was on the sideline and he was injured. And so uh, the question was, well, how did he get injured? Because he didn't even come close to anybody who had the ball. And so, or any other player, in fact. And so the mystery was not uh, resolved until they saw the instant replay. And what they found was this, that the Jets coach, Sal Alosi, uh, actually stuck his knee out and tripped Nolan Carroll on the sideline. Now, I understand you may not know every rule about NFL football, but I can tell you right now, you can't do that, right? So there's 22 players on the field. Everybody else is supposed to be a spectator. Well, it turns out that Coach Alosi was fined $25,000 and he was suspended for the rest of the season. Now, he was trying to get the job done, but obviously he was doing it with the wrong attitude. Now, we've been going through a series on parables, and today's parable uh, is called Taking Care of Business, and it has to do with a man who hires a group of laborers, but some of them, although they came to do the right job, uh, we find out as the story goes on that their attitude wasn't right. So our three points today are going to be work, wages, and wonder. And the story is found in Matthew chapter 20. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to that or you can just listen along. But again, our message today is called Taking Care of Business, And our three points are going to be work, wages, and wonder. So how about we pray together and let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you for this story and how it was actually Jesus uh, with the disciples just trying to teach some truths about the kingdom of God. Lord, things that matter now and they also matter into eternity. And Lord, um, the disciples were confused as he taught them. Uh, in fact, most times he taught them, uh, those guys just had uh, more and more questions. But, Lord, I pray um, just as he would teach those guys and how it mattered back then. Lord, I pray in the same way you would teach us even now. Uh, give us understanding uh, into this parable, into your word. Help us understand you, almighty God. Help us be more like you. Lord, open every heart, every heart who's listening. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay. Okay. So our first point today is work. And uh, what I want to say about that is that Jesus tells a story about a property owner who goes in search of workers for his vineyard. So the parable is found in Matthew chapter 20, but it's preceded by uh, a string of events that happened in the previous chapter. So what Christ was doing was he was emphasizing that the rules of how the kingdom of heaven operate are very different from the world that we live in. So first he begins with children and we're in Matthew 19 which is the chapter preceding Matthew 20 but all these things were preceding it just as he was trying to make a point. So here we are, uh, he starts talking about children and in Matthew chapter 19 verse 14 he says this. But Jesus said, "Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven." Now, The disciples looked at children and they saw noisy, laughing, disruptive brats. But Jesus, right, was telling them, take a closer look. And what you would see about kids is that they're simple, they're innocent, they're trusting, and they're teachable. And God's kingdom looks like that. In the next example, Jesus began speaking about wealthy people. And so in Matthew 19, verse 23... It says, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the disciples saw a well-off religious person, uh, you know, who was wealthy. And their assumption was, well, surely this guy's going to make it. And here was Jesus teaching otherwise. In fact, we can find the same idea in Paul's letter, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. So we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now he doesn't say not any, but it does say not many, not many. The lesson is that the kingdom of heaven is going to be mostly populated with people you might not expect. So at that moment, Peter responds to what Jesus was teaching about the wealthy and uh, about the rich people entering into heaven, how difficult it is. So in Matthew 19, verse 27, then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? right. So the idea, Peter responding what Jesus just said about about a rich person entering and how hard it is, right, like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, Peter, in response to that, is saying, well, we're not like that rich guy. Uh, so what's going to be our reward? Well, the first thing Jesus did was he reassured the apostles and told them that you'll actually be, be sitting in 12 thrones in the kingdom of heaven. But then he goes on to say this, Matthew 19, verse 30. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So what he tells the apostles, you guys are going to be sitting on thrones. But just because you begin up front doesn't mean you're going to finish there. Well, at this point, the twelve apostles were completely confused, right? And uh, they were getting this one concept, though, I believe the concept they were getting was this. The kingdom of heaven is not as you might expect. And that brings us to chapter 20. So here we go. And Jesus uh, says in Matthew chapter 20, verse one, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. All right. So let's break down the story so far. We have a master who gets up early to go hire people to do a job. And they agree on a wage. And that wage was going to be one denarius. Now, in case you don't know, because we don't usually spend denarii in uh, in America, you know. Uh, now, in Spanish countries, they spend dinero. All right. But that's beside the point. Okay. Uh, Romans. That's not even in my notes, y'all. So I'm being led by the Holy Spirit at this moment. All right. Now. Um, uh, a denarius was a, a, a Roman uh, denomination of coin. And what it, what it meant was it was one day's wage. So if you agreed to work for a denarius, you're agreeing to work for one day's wage. And this is the first lesson in the parable that we're talking about today. And the idea is this, that that one day represents our lives. And so if you think about it in God's eyes, our lives are like one day. Our lives Are like one day. They're very brief. You've probably heard this before. That on every tombstone. You'll see a birth date. And you'll see a date of death. And in between. There's a little bitty dash. That represents a life lived. It's very short. It's very brief. We go on in verse 3. It says this. And going out about the third hour. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said. You go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. All right. So in verse three, the same um, the same owner, he sees these other workers and it says he saw others standing idle. And this is about the third hour that he sees these guys and he sees they have nothing to do. Right. They're idle. They have no purpose. Well, God wants to give us his work to do. He wants to give us his purpose. And it's the highest calling. It's to know him and to make him known. By contrast, Marcus uh, taught a couple of weeks ago on the uh, story of the prodigal son. And it was a guy who was running from his father, right? Symbolically, he was running from God. He was running from God's purpose. And where did he end up? He ended up feeding pigs. In fact, he was so down at that point that he even craved the food that pigs eat. That's how far away he was from God. There's a choice you and I have to make. We can either be idle like the idle workers, right? And let the world dictate how we're going to live. Or we can live according to God's purpose. We pick up in verse 5, Matthew 20, verse 5. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Okay, let's break that down. All right? So in verse 5, he hires folks at the sixth hour and at the ninth hour. And then in verse 6, it tells you, that he hires people even at the 11th hour. Now, this is symbolic of people turning their lives over to Christ. At different places in their lives. Sometimes people come to Christ. Faith in Christ. When they're very young. And sometimes they're teenagers. Or might be a young adult. Or middle-aged adult. Some folks don't come to Christ until they're elderly. And uh, in my work with hospice. uh I've seen people come to Christ even on their deathbed. God has work for all ages. In fact, as long as you're breathing and I'm speaking to everybody in this room, if you're breathing, that means God has you on this planet for a reason. And you still have a purpose to bring him glory. Here's an additional thought in the kingdom of heaven. There's always room for new converts. Always. Now, I want you to notice this. Nobody was hired at the 12th hour. Okay, At the 12th hour, the day is done. And so uh, the symbolism there is that the time to choose Christ is during our lifetime. Now, it mentions in verse 7 that the idle people who were, were hired at the 11th hour, right? Uh, right there close to the end. Um, they state their reason why they weren't working. And they said this. Because no one has hired us. So think about that. Okay, The ones in the 11th hour had not been offered the job yet. But once they were offered the job, they accepted it. In fact, everyone in the story accepts the invitation the first time. They receive the invitation. Now, here's our application. When you come to an understanding that God is drawing your heart and he wants you to put faith in Christ and begin that relationship with him, that's the time to say yes to him. To put God off when you have an understanding that you're a sinner in need of a savior. and When you realize that What that means, what that implies and the bad news and how, I mean, God's judgment is upon you unless you turn to Christ. The moment you understand that, that's the moment to say yes to Christ because you are not guaranteed that you'll ever have that opportunity again. The time to turn to Christ is now. So we've been talking about the topic of work and it comes down to this. We have a purpose for living. And it's to serve the almighty God. Now, a couple of years ago, uh, my son Ian uh, walked into a fast food restaurant. He was by himself and the place was empty and he looked behind the counter and there were six guys, six employees. And it surprised him. They were all standing behind the counter and they weren't doing a thing. They were just sitting around talking, uh, just chewing the breeze. And then he walked in and at first they didn't notice him. And I'm, I'm talking about, Six employees, including the manager. And then after he'd stood there for a little bit, that's when they turned to him and the manager spoke up and said, can I help you? <laughs> Ian says, yeah, I want a job. <laughs> and so right then they all turned to the guy that was furthest away and that guy reached over and grabbed an application, handed it to the next guy who handed it to, and they passed it down to the manager who handed it to Ian. Ian comes home laughing. He said, dad, if I got a job there, I could literally work my way up the chain. Right. So God has a job for us, y'all. He calls us uh, to serve him, right, to know him and to serve him. Which brings us uh, to the topic of wages. Now, that's our second point today. So when the workday is complete, it's time to settle accounts. So we're in Matthew 20, verse eight. And when evening came. The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So let's talk about that. So when evening came, it's symbolic, right? End of the day, end of life and the judgment. And now it's time to pay them their wages for them to receive uh, the reward. And look, it's given only to the laborers who had accepted the offer. Now, you remember we've been talking about this now Christ since chapter 19 has been trying to drive this one idea home that the rules that govern the kingdom of heaven are not like the ones that govern this earth. There's a difference between the kingdom of heaven and what we observe uh, in the king, you know, on the earth. So, that's what he's been trying to illustrate and I want you to catch this because if you miss this you're going to miss the whole meaning of the whole sermon today, the whole message today. The, re- the reward of eternal life with God is not associated with the work we've done. It's associated with our accepting God's invitation. Now, that's where Jesus is going with this parable. So I want to say that again. Make sure you catch it. The reward of eternal life with God is not associated with the work we've done, it's associated with our accepting God's invitation. Matthew 20 verse 9. And when those hired about the 11th hour, these are the ones that, you know, were hired at the end of the day, right? And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, right, the ones that had worked all day, all those hours, When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius, okay? Everybody received the same amount. And remember we said a denarius equals one day's wage, one lifetime. The gift of eternal life is free. It is not earned and it is not based on our works. It is based... On whether or not we accept God's invitation. The most famous verse in the Bible. I think I use this almost every sermon. But I mean it's a great verse. So don't tear this one out of your Bible. Okay. But the book of John chapter 3 verse 16 says this. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him. You see that? Whoever believes in him should not perish. But have eternal life. God's gift of eternal life. Is based on faith alone. In Christ alone. If you ever feel. Like you deserve heaven. More than anybody else. You're on shaky ground. I want to make sure you heard that too. If you ever feel. Like you deserve heaven. More than anybody else. You're on shaky ground. The apostle Paul actually wrote about this. And so it would be interesting to see what he wrote. Right? What his thoughts were. Well, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, this is what the Apostle Paul says. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Now think about who the Apostle Paul was, y'all. We have 21 letters in the New Testament. We call them epistles. 21 letters. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of those letters. If anybody in the New Testament could have said... Well, I deserve heaven. I've earned it. It would have been the Apostle Paul. And yet you see his words right there. He said, though, I am the very least of all the saints. Now, if that was his attitude, you know what? I want my attitude to be the same way. I do not deserve heaven. I don't deserve the suffering that Christ went through on my behalf. But I'm so, so thankful He was willing to do that for me. We go back to the parable. The master pays the workers. He pays them all the same thing, regardless of how long they had worked. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 11. And on receiving it, they grumbled. And this is the last guy, the the guys who had worked all day. Okay, the ones who who were hired at the beginning of the day. Think about their attitude, y'all. On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Now, this is important, okay? What Jesus is not teaching is that when we reach heaven, there's going to be people complaining, okay? That's not, so rest assured, that's not what he's teaching, okay? Jesus had an audience in front of him and the purpose of the parable was to instruct them And it was also to instruct us. So his uh, his crowd that had gathered around him were Jews. And Jesus anticipated what their attitude was going to be towards the Gentiles, towards those outside of Israel. Think about what their attitude might be. Well, wait a second, Jesus. We have been suffering for centuries. The Jewish people have been suffering for centuries Now, you're saying that if you add these Gentiles, they're going to get the same reward. okay? do you see how that jealousy might seep in uh, if you were Jewish? But like I said, Jesus also anticipated an attitude we might have. We might think like this. Well, wait a second. If I've endured the Christian life for years and years and years and someone who's elderly or someone on their deathbed receives the same reward. Is that right uh, what about a criminal who's on death row? What about a criminal who's who's committed terrible crimes? Lord, is that right? Are they going to receive the same reward, the same reward of eternal life if they accept Christ right there towards the end? And Jesus anticipated that as he tells this story. He wanted us to understand, first of all, that the rules that govern heaven are different from here. The reward of eternal life. It's a gift to anyone who accepts Christ at any time. My girls were five years old when they trusted Christ. My boys were six. And in fact, Ian actually admitted recently at the beginning of April. And he wouldn't mind me telling you this. Um, but he uh, just found out early April. He realized even though he'd been brought up in the Christian faith, brought up in church, brought up in a Christian home under a pastor and Connie Lopez as well, okay? Even though he had all that to his advantage, he realized early April that he had not really fully understood this truth about the gospel and about how it is we begin a relationship with God. And so he actually did not trust Christ until about five, six weeks ago. And uh, and then shortly after that, uh, he was baptized, right, to show the outward sign of what God had done in his heart and baptism's a whole nother topic, but uh, you can bring that up some other time. The point is, here he was uh, at the age of 20. Some people come to Christ in their 40s, right, in their 60s. And like I mentioned uh, in my work with hospice, uh, there are specific people. I mean, it is amazing. But where I've actually been with them their last day and that day they decided to trust Christ, receive Christ. And then maybe overnight they passed away. And I have assurance that one day I'll see those people again. Because, right, the gift of eternal life, it is a free gift. It's not based on our works. It's based on our accepting God's invitation. Now, I did an experiment with a youth group years ago. This was in Baton Rouge and it was a small group. It was about six kids and they were all in junior high. They're about sixth, seventh grade or so. And I wanted to teach on this very parable that we're talking about today. So I came up with this idea. Uh, I brought a, a big jar of pennies, and I asked them, "Hey guys, can y'all help me count these pennies?" And I said, "And look, if you do a good job, I'll let you keep a penny when we're done." All right? And you know, they're all laughing about it. I said, "Sure, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this work for a penny." And so I poured out the pennies, and we sat there. And you can imagine the time it took, but we counted up all these pennies. When we were done. I handed them each a penny and told them thank you, just like we had agreed. But I had set up something ahead of time secretly with this boy named DJ. And when I turned to him, I said, DJ, you did an especially good job. And I reached in my pocket, pulled out my wallet, and I gave him a $10 bill. And uh, you can imagine the reaction, right? It's predictable. The other junior high kids made this face. (laughs) <laughs> like that. And instantly, they all threw their pennies back in the pile. And then I acted totally innocent, cause usually I am. <laughs> and I said, I said, guys, what's wrong? What's wrong? What happened? And they're all like, why does he get ten dollars? We did the same job. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second. I said, you were happy a little while ago. I said, we made this agreement, and I paid you what I promised I would. And you all agreed that would be fine. Why are you angry? And then as we, you know, went back and forth for a while, then I said, all right, guys, I, I played a joke on you. Give me back my money and you know, make sure I got that, do, you know, that $10 bill back. And then we went into the message, y'all. Um, uh, we're happy with the deal that God offers us until we feel like somebody else is getting a better deal. Isn't that true? We've Got to be careful about that. OK, so we've talked about work. We've talked about wages which brings us to our third point of wonder. When we really think about how far above us God is and His ways, we're filled with awe and with wonder. So Matthew chapter 20 verse 13, but He replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? The lesson, God is never wrong, y'all. God is never wrong. Didn't we agree? We were happy when we first got saved. But since then, let me ask you something. Have you ever felt like God has given someone else a better deal? You ever felt that way? You ever wondered, why them? Why did they get that? You ever felt that way? Matthew 20, verse 14. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And here's right symbolic of God. This this form in here at this point is saying, be thankful, rejoice. God is gracious to you and he's gracious to others as well. Matthew 20, verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. At this point, Jesus brings the story Full circle. Remember when we started, right, uh, you know, at, when we ended chapter 19, he'd already been teaching about how the kingdom of heaven is different from what you might expect. And then he specifically told his apostles, the last will be first. Some of the first will be last. And now he brings it full circle back to that point, And he brings up that idea. So the last will be first and the first last. Now, their context, right? Jewish folks, and they could have this thought, well, wait a second, what if I suffer longer than you do? You know, is it fair that the Jews have been suffering for centuries and now the Gentiles get to be added in if they come to faith? Is that right? And they might have that attitude in our context. Like I said before, what if God um, includes someone that you feel is undeserving? OK. Now, let's think about this for a minute. When you understood what Christ was offering you and you realized I can have eternal life for free if I accept the Savior in spite of all my sins, he paid for all. Remember how excited you were? I still remember how I asked God. Don't let me forget how thankful I was when I first came to faith in Christ It was the best thing since sliced bread. Right. I mean, God was going to forgive all my sins and I could. Receive the savior and have eternal life it felt so good. But what happens when God wants to save someone that you don't particularly like? OK, what if it's someone who's cheated you? Right. What if it's someone you might consider an enemy? What is God doing? Saving that person. Right. Um, what if God seemingly gives them a better deal? Back in 1984, uh, there was a movie called Amadeus, and it won uh, movie of the year. And what was interesting to me was it actually was not about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. It really was more about his contemporary, Antonio Salieri. Now, Salieri was a gifted composer as well. And the movie begins where Salieri has a simple desire to make music that would bring glory to God. The problem is this. The more he recognizes that Mozart has superior talent, he becomes consumed with jealousy. And he even gets to a point where he eventually declares himself the enemy of God. There's a great line in the movie where Salieri says this. He says, all I ever wanted to do was sing to God. He gave me that longing and then made me mute. Now, think about that. This awesome composer. He was happy with what God had given him. And he asked God for just a simple request that he could write music to glorify God. And he was fine until he began to compare himself to what God had given someone else. And then little by little, that jealousy corrupted him. And if we're not careful, same thing can happen to us. There's a lot of lessons in the parable. I just want to point out three of them right now. Number one, the kingdom of heaven is not like this world. Number two, anytime anyone comes to faith, it is a cause for rejoicing. Really think about that one, y'all. Anytime anyone comes to faith, it is a cause for rejoicing. And number three, we can become jealous When we compare what God gives us to what God gives others. Let me give you an application verse. This comes out of Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. And this really helps me out a lot with my attitude. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the lord christ brothers and sisters serve the lord your god let's pray together dear lord again we thank you for today and we thank you for this message that was written so long ago almighty god i pray father you would help guard us against jealousy lord help us be more and more thankful for what you've given us Help us, Lord, be thankful also for what you choose to give others. It's a cause for rejoicing, Lord. It all belongs to you. Lord, help us love you more and serve you more. Help us live to bring joy to our master. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.